0: Friends, hello, welcome back to another episode of the What If Project podcast. My name is Glenn, and this is episode number 83, and it's part five of our series that we're doing called Women's Voices You Need to Hear. And uh, today we're sitting down with Danielle Schroyer, who wrote a wonderful book uh, that will likely challenge you greatly if you grew up in the faith environment that I did, uh, it's called Original Blessing, Putting Sin in Its Rightful Place, and she tackles the topic of original sin in this book uh, and talks about why it's ridiculous. Um, so it's, it's a great book. Um, it really gave me some super good perspective. Uh, this is a topic I have been wrestling with for a while now, and she helped me put some words on some things that... Uh, I think I had thoughts for but didn't really have a way to explain it, and uh, we have a really solid and fun conversation in this episode, so I'm excited to share it with you. Uh, a few things first. Uh, number one, if you could, please um, head over to uh, Apple Podcasts, or if you listen to this on Google, or whatever it is that you listen to this, give the show a rating and a review. Uh, right now, we have 47 Uh, Ratings. We have a bunch of reviews. And uh, the more ratings there are, the more it plays in favor of the algorithm. uh, So that when someone searches for, I don't know, spirituality, Christianity, whatever, they have a much better chance of coming across this particular podcast. So right now, I guess we have 47 ratings and we have a handful of reviews. Thank you to those of you who have done that. Greatly appreciate it. Uh, So if this show has impacted you, uh, challenged you, uh, gave you a better perspective, helped you grow, head over there, give it a rating. That would be really, really huge uh, for me. So thank you in advance, and thank you for those who have already done it. Uh, the What If Project Heretic Shop is a place where you can go to buy some T-shirts, uh, some mugs, backpacks, blankets, uh, all sorts of interesting things over there. There are some stuff that has been shipped out in the last few weeks uh, to North Carolina, uh, Washington, uh, Tennessee, uh, Florida, all over the place, Texas. Uh, So head over there, check out some stuff. Um, Apparently, it looks really cool. I saw one of the backpacks. They're pretty awesome. I kind of want one. Uh, So go check it out um, and find something over there that maybe you would like patreon.com slash what if project is a place where you can go to support the show financially Um, i ask i I mention this every week not because i'm begging for your money uh, but just because people have asked me what can we do to show the show some support and to help you in this endeavor and that's a great place to do it Uh, anywhere from three dollars a month up to thirty dollars a month Uh, all the money goes to pay for the hosting fees for the the website and the podcast and also money goes aside to help me get to the wild goose festival this summer and uh, my computer we're gonna need a new computer uh, probably shortly this one that i have is good but it uh, sometimes doesn't behave very well and i'm trying to do more complicated things with audio files and things like that so uh, a computer's on the horizon in the next year Hopefully. So uh, some money will go aside for that. So for technology purposes. So if you're able to give, that's awesome. If you can't, awesome. No worries. I I love all of you and I'm grateful for you. And uh, thank you for the 20, I think we're up to 26 people who are now uh, calling themselves patrons of the What If Project podcast. Uh, So anyway, all of that to say, uh, like I said, this is episode number 83. Oh, and I have to say too, special music today is from my friend Young Citizen, who uh, wrote a song called I Wish. And uh, we're playing this song this week because he recently released a music video uh, to go along with the song, and the link to that is in the show notes. Uh, Young Citizen is a friend of mine. We work together. He is a has a huge heart. He's a super encourager, and he's doing fantastic things in the world. So go check out his music, download it, listen to it. Turn up the volume and uh, enjoy. So anyway, again, all of that to say, episode 83, uh, it's part number five of our series, Women's Voices, You Need to Hear. And uh, I want to start the episode as I have done for the last uh, previous four episodes by reading for you an excerpt uh, from a book uh, that was written by a female voice. And today I want to read for you an excerpt from Danielle's book, Um, Original, Original Blessing. And then we will roll into the episode. So this is what Danielle says. She says, Categorizing people with a sin nature minimizes the image of God in each of us. A sin nature advocates for something like a lowest common denominator. Nobody benefits from sinking down like that. And history tells us that those with the least power will be hurt by the system most of all. God never asks us to reject our human dignity. God calls us to live into it. When we live by original blessing, we have no excuse to treat others poorly. We are called instead to see everyone as bearers of God's image, and therefore creatures of inherent worth and dignity. And it then becomes our responsibility to respect and uphold their dignity as well as our own. Thanks for dropping by. This is my conversation with Danielle Schroyer. Enjoy.
1: Wish I had a mansion. Wish I was dressed something fancy. Uh, wish i on a pot on so go with the rainbow. Powdered Tom Clancy. Uh, wish I not had no debt. I'm Maybe win. then I can't flex. Go in here to run, I'ma check. Wish I had no other sand, most beating on my chest. Wish it for my people. Uh, wish win. I have more better leaders. Have enough to make our own land. Name my own I'm beach. Win. shall we bring our old sand? Wherever we live, is so bland. So I'm much, we high on demand. Hey around through and high lows. Feel like Brown love we going here to dance Let me talk at the end of the day, we know who's at a fall. we got our hands up ready for a box Undisputed the champion Go ahead.
2: Hey everybody welcome back to the What if Project podcast It is great to have you here uh, today we're joined by the one and only Danielle Schroyer so Danielle, welcome to the podcast it's an honor to chat with you
3: Thanks for having me
2: yeah for sure so Danielle wrote a book called Original Blessing. Uh, subtitled Putting Sin in Its Rightful Place, where she pretty much, I would say, deconstructs the idea of original sin and then reconstructs it into something very beautiful in its place that she calls original blessing. And I'll put the link to the book in the show notes so everybody can go and buy it. But Danielle, I'm curious, how was this book received? Like, Did it get a lot of kickback from people? Was it more of a mix between people who Maybe ask something negative, something positive. What was the, the main feedback?
3: It's really funny. So many people start by asking me that question. Yeah. Um, I was actually prepared for kind of, you know, the blowback.
4: And yep. <laughs>
3: I while writing the book, you know, I kept thinking, oh gosh, this is going to ruffle feathers. And, you know, um, I had some concerns about it, but honestly, it didn't. Um, mm. I have certainly gotten some emails. Sure. Uh, telling me that I'm wrong or that I need to read Romans and I try to <laughs> politely tell them that I have read it in Greek, but yeah, actually, I got it. I got it. <laughs> I thought about it. Um, but for the most part, I think, you know, I really prayed as I was reading, as I was writing and researching for this book, that it would be in fact a blessing, you know, mm. Um, I think when I first started writing it, it, it felt ar- not argumentative, but just, you know, that I was making a case Yeah. and I sort of ditched it and started over and just thought if I can't live in blessing while writing it, then I should not be writing it anyway. And so, mm. um, I do think that in some ways did help me not get
4: to
3: get too many awful mean emails from people because I, I hope that my intention which I was so prayerfully clear about, somehow came across.
2: When I was reading it, I felt like it was, it really felt like it came from a very pastoral place. Like it wasn't like necessarily like a, like a professor who was standing up giving me this long outline of why this is wrong and this is right, but it really felt like it came from a place of, of love where you were trying to lead people into something Perhaps deeper.
3: Well, I'm glad to hear that. That certainly was my intention: was to just say, "Oh, sweethearts, like we we have to look at this in a a different way. It's better. (laughs) Right. Better. Let's just come along with me for a minute, you know."
2: So before we jump into the book, uh, because I have some questions, but uh, maybe tell our listeners about yourself. Uh, Who are you? You know, what do you do? Uh, What makes you you tick? A little bit about your story.
3: Yeah. So I spent my early life as a pastor. Um, Mm. I was a pastor in the emerging church movement and was really involved in emergent, um, for, you know, 20 years and pastored a church for almost 10. That was one of the, those independent communities of faith that was, we called ourselves lovingly multi-denominational because we had one of everybody. Yep. (laughs) Um, and so I sort of intentionally chose to live, um, after seminary outside of denominational structures and try to create space for people who just didn't feel like they fit in traditional church. So, um our community was conversational and um tactile and hopefully embodied and holistic and we tried to be thoughtful about social justice although we were just figuring out what that meant Mm -hmm. (laughs) during that time (laughs) um so yeah so that's what I did for a long time and then I stepped down from that position and um wanted to spend more time writing and speaking. Mm. So I wrote these, my two most recent books. And um, then in the last year, I have also been doing spiritual direction. So now that's really my sort of day-to-day job is that I'm a spiritual director, which I absolutely
4: love. And Mm. yeah. Now,
2: what exactly, if you could tell me, what exactly is spiritual direction? Because I've heard varying definitions of what that means.
4: Yes. (laughs) So
3: the traditional, the history is that... Um, a spiritual director was someone who was a clergy person specifically, um, focused on helping to support other clergy people and monastics. So monks and nuns would have a spiritual director, clergy would have a spiritual director. And the purpose was to help them just stay close to their souls to make Mm. sure that they, you know, if you can't do that, you really aren't able to do any of the rest of that job. And so that is the history of, of how spiritual directors came to be. But, you know, Thankfully, as time has gone by, people have begun to realize uh, just because you're not a monk or a clergy person doesn't mean that you don't need to stay close to your soul. And so Mm. uh, spiritual direction has gotten um, broader, thankfully. And now people come for all sorts of reasons. You know, people come who are clergy and who need support and people come who are discerning kind of what to do in between stages of life. And some people come because they're having a crisis of faith and just need just some clarity from their soul to figure out what, what they really believe.
4: Hmm. So
3: people come for all, all different kinds of reasons. And, um, that's kind of part of the joy of it is that I get to sort of walk alongside someone hmm. and, uh, help them figure out how to listen to what's going on in their souls and what their soul is trying to tell them.
2: Hmm. Do you feel like it's a very like pastoral work, like almost, cause I used to pastor a church and that sounds like the part of being a pastor that I enjoyed. Was those kinds <laughs> of moments with people, whereas the the politics yeah. of the church, I was like, I could do without right. this. <laughs> right?
3: Yeah, I told I, I told a handful of people. You know, I think that. Spiritual direction is what I thought I was going to do when I Mm -hmm. signed up to be a pastor. And, you know, I loved being a pastor and I actually did love kind of all the different aspects of it. And, you know, some of that I miss, I kind of miss the like visioning leadership of an organization. You know, those things are cool too. But as far as the actual pastoral vocation I felt called to, I think spiritual direction, particularly for me, really fits with what I feel like I was called to do. And so I feel really grateful for that.
2: That's awesome. Was there a lot of training involved in that? Yes. Yeah. Uh,
3: so I have had a spiritual director for, um, gosh, six years mm. and she is my mentor. And so I have been mentored in the classical Episcopal, you know, direction um, for a couple of years now. And then I'm also in a program at the Hayden Institute, which is awesome because they combine uh, wisdom, Christianity, you know, the the sort of contemplative christian tradition with union Mm. psychology Mm. and really you can't i just can't imagine doing this work without that piece so it's a really great fit for me and it means i get to think about lots of other cool stuff i love like myths and fairy tales and you know all these kind of cool things that i get to to kind of check into so that's really
2: cool. So yeah. let's let's jump in your book, because I'm itching to ask you these questions. Um, yeah. Let's start with original sin, because maybe some of our listeners are, maybe they're unfamiliar with the term, or maybe, uh, like myself, they've heard the term used so many times in their church experience that it means to them a whole bunch of different things. So maybe narrow it down for us. What is it? Uh, what, when did this become a thing? Uh, what are like the go-to Bible verses for it?
3: Right. Well, one of the things I think people get most confused about when we're talking about trying to maybe reconsider and let go of original sin is that they think that original sin just means that people are sinful. Yep. Um, so just to clarify right off the bat, uh, original blessing also acknowledges that people are
4: sinful. Mm. So
3: that is not the, the definition of original sin. Specifically, mm. what makes original sin different is that they say that we are sinful in such a way That in our very nature, in our very human nature, there is a separateness that is intrinsic to us that keeps us in this buffer zone from God. Mm. Uh, And that's the thing that I abhorrently disagree with. Um, Mm. I believe that we are innately connected to god and that actually sin comes when we somehow miss that connection or forget it or try to run away from it or all mm. those you know it's always in relation to the connection that we sin
4: not yeah. because we
3: have one it's kind of problematic because original sins uh, assumes that we are inherently evil mm. in fact it was so interesting when i started looking into the doctrinal statements um And it doesn't really matter which denomination you're looking at. You would maybe think, oh, gosh, like maybe the Calvinist Presbyterians have it the worst or (laughs) the Lutheran, (laughs) which, okay, yeah, maybe they had a little (laughs) bit more stringent language, but like so do the Methodists and so do the Baptists. And it's every, you know, every single denomination has this language of we are prone to evil continually, Which is such a negative thing to say about humans, you it's know. A
2: terrible thing, yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah, and like and like good luck. You can't there's no fixing it, you know. It's not like after salvation you stop being prone to evil continually or something gets patched up in your human nature. It's forever. Like you yeah.
4: are
3: you should never trust yourself because you're mm. inclined to evil continually. And so it was sort of terrifying to find out that that it was actually worse than I thought.
2: Mm. And who came up with this? Where did this come from? Do we blame this on Augustine?
3: A lot of people do, and I think that's mostly fair. Um, you know, the early church, I say this in the book, that for the first 400 years of the church, when, you know, everything was on the line, if we, mm. if we were going to make it and, and actually become a thing that stayed around, um, it was going to be those first few hundred years that were going to solidify that. And we never had a doctrine of original sin during that time. so. Mm-hmm the idea that we think it's intrinsic to our, our, you know, DNA as Christians or to the future of that, like there can't be a Christianity without it. Like we wouldn't be here if there weren't 400 years of people right. solidifying the tradition. And they certainly didn't think it was necessary.
4: Yeah. Um,
3: so, but after that, you know, there were, there were a handful of just little, little things that happened. And I I kind of try to describe this in the book as these two boxes that, we got a little bit confused in the way that we languaged the ideas of death and sin. Mm. um, And that the Eastern church really thought that death was the primary bad thing that God had had victory over. And that the Western church started more and more, particularly because of Augustine to talk about sin as the big bad, you know, Mm. sin was the thing that, that Jesus came to, to save us from and that we were given forgiveness from. And it kind of like, made death take a back seat. And so, you know, there are all kinds of reasons why that ends up getting theologically complicated. Sure. But what ended up happening is that we had to make humans bad and we had to, to create this sort of separation problem so that then Jesus fixed it with the cross. And that's how substitutionary atonement happens. And, right. you know, baptism, because it just, everything gets wonky at that point. Mm. But, um, when Augustine started saying that and the you, you start to kind of see the language that sin language start to shift and get a lot more energy around it. Um, you know, then it was sort of just like a, a snowball going down a hill. And right, it's getting bigger. before you knew it, uh, now we've got total depravity and, you know, these things that I think even Augustine would be like, well, that seems overly harsh, you know,
2: yeah. so
3: it's sort of snowballed from there.
2: Hmm. Why do you think that so many, like churches, like denominations hold on to that so strongly because I, I pastored in a reformed church and uh, yeah. I was going towards like the ordination and stuff like that. And I was in these, um, uh, they called it like uh, oral exams and stuff. We'd have to talk about these different topics. And one of the ones I, I remember was this topic coming up and I was trying to skate around it because I knew what I was supposed to say. <laughs> but right. I was trying to talk about what I really thought and, like, I just could feel the tension in the room. And, like, yeah. I was wondering, why, why do you think that, like, this is something that, like, so many people sometimes have, like, an issue with releasing their grasp on?
3: Well, I think that they feel that tension really fairly because the Western church has built the whole project Christianity around original sin. Yeah, <laughs> so, that's true.
2: That's true. You
3: know, the minute you take that away, yeah. we don't even know what to do with Jesus anymore, much right. less the rest of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's scary. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I I think that, 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 that feeling of, Oh, if this is wrong, then we got to rethink everything is
2: really valid concern. Yeah. Yeah,
4: It's totally valid. Mm
3: -hmm. Um, I think though, the other thing is that I'm not sure people know that they have a choice.
4: Mm
3: -hmm. You know, we, it has been, it has been culturally assumed to be true to such a degree that like, you know, my husband and I are watching his dark materials on HBO. And it surfaces there. And it's like, oh, my goodness, this person isn't even a practicing Christian. It, you can tell he was probably raised Catholic. Right. But, it's, you know, he's certainly not going to church and thinking about these things now. And yet he's writing this whole story still grappling with this idea. You know, it comes up all the time whether people are actually religious or not. Hmm. So I think it's so much in the water of our American Western cultural life that the other issue is that people believe it because they didn't know that was, there was anything else to believe.
2: Yeah, that makes sense. So before we get into original blessing, what made you want to write a book about this? Because like, was there like an event, was there something that you read, like an experience that made you think like, I got to tackle this, this topic. And I asked that because for me, like I started to really rethink this kind of stuff when my daughter was born. Um, Mm -hmm. I remember my wife had a C-section and my wife was like passed out from the, the pain, obviously. And uh, they had to bring my daughter into the NICU. And I remember when she was in that tank, like looking over her, like thinking through like all of my schooling and all the times I heard about original sin and people being born separated from God. And I'm like, how in the world could God possibly turn his back on this little amazing blessing that's in front of me. And that really sent me down this road of like, I don't know if I believe this. So I really started to rethink all of this stuff. So I'm wondering, was there some kind of like event for you that made you think like, I need to think about this a little bit deeper?
3: I'm not sure that there was one moment, although I love that story. And I think it's so true. I think, um, you know, I've heard so many, I've been really blessed to hear so many stories over the last few years hmm. of people saying, you know, it was at my wedding or it like when my <laughs> child was born or I was with my dog when she was dying, like these really human moments of connection
4: yeah. when people are like,
3: Something is messed up about this idea. Right, you know, yes. I think the, the ground of the universe is connection to God. And I'm like, Yes, you know. Mm. So I do think that there's something important that when we are really present in these deeply human moments that we feel so close to God and it seems insane mm-hmm. to, to profess anything else. Um, I don't know if I had one moment, like I said, but really I've always questioned this. I remember, you know, just even when I was little, I just, I'm not sure I bought into this.
4: Yeah.
3: <laughs> I didn't have the language to figure out why, how I could argue with the Sunday school teachers, but I just thought that Eve did the right thing. Like, mm. I, and I mean, I, I'm, I'm not necessarily saying I see it exactly that way now, but sure. as a kid, I thought she wanted to be more like God and we're mad about that. Like, isn't that the whole point? Right. I just <laughs> remember being really confused. It was like, Oh, well, she wanted to be more like God and that's bad. I don't know. Mm. So I've always had questions, but I think what really changed what really made me want to sit down and research and write this book is that as a pastor, I realized that until people could get that, there was this hard line on how far, how far they could go in their faith. You know, Mm -hmm. there's just only so much you can do when you feel like you are inherently evil and inclined to evil continually, you know, Mm -hmm. on whatever level. Unconsciously, that you believe that you are not going to have good centering prayer, you know what I mean? (laughs) Like, yeah, like that's not going to get you closer to God, and therefore, it's not going to help you become the person that God has intended for you to be in this world, and that Mm -hmm. hurts all of us. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, I honestly feel like original blessing is an act of social justice, like, if Mm -hmm. we want to repair God's world. And the way that God is asking us, we actually cannot do that if we believe in original sin because it prevents us from accessing this, this divine power that God has given us for that very reason.
2: Hmm. I think for me, like I always struggled when I was younger with like self-doubt and like just like self-condemning thoughts and things like that. And I think that when I, I, I always felt like I was limited in how close I could get to God. When I really held on closely to original sin and just the idea that God looked negatively on me. And I felt like I always felt stuck. And I think what you said about you can only go so far in your walk with God or in your, you know, in centering prayer or something like that, when you hold on to that that idea that you are this inherently evil thing.
3: Yeah, it's amazing that when you start to really live into the idea of blessing, you mm-hmm. do just feel more open to God. I don't yeah. really know how else to say it. It sounds so simple, but you, yeah, you can set down so much of that sense of guilt or limitation that really prevents you from being faithful. And at the very least, when you do feel that shame, you feel like you have a place to put it that feels a lot safer, which is also really great. You know,
2: yeah, that's very true. <laughs> so, talk to me more about now original blessing. Um, like, what what is it? Um, why is it a better way? Uh, where in the Bible can we look to support it? Cause maybe, maybe people are thinking, you know, like, is this, is dangerous? Like, are we sidestepping sin? Are we downplaying it? Are we ignoring it? Like, is this even biblical? So, uh, talk to those people a little bit who are maybe a little bit concerned or questioning what this is all about.
3: Yeah. So original blessing, I mean, the, the definition that I give it in the book is that we are in a relationship with God mm-hmm. and God started it and God is sticking with it. Yes which is to say, you know, God has chosen to be connected to us and we don't really have a choice in the matter. And so we can choose how we respond to that connection, but we cannot do anything to sever it. Mm. And, uh, you know, I have enough atheist friends that find that super annoying and I completely understand their point, but I also just, I just can't explain the reality that I know and have, ex- have experienced um, personally and as a pastor and spiritual director that says anything different than that. Mm. Um, we are just indelibly connected to the creator of the universe. We simply are. And we can see why in Genesis 1, because we mm. are made in God's image. And God, you know, began with walking in close relationship with us and has never stopped. Mm. Um, God has always protected us and always um, been a covenantal God. You know, as a reformed pastor, former reformed pastor, you understand that concept of of covenant. yeah, and that speaks not to our faithfulness but to God's faithfulness. Mm. And so an original blessing is is simply that same exact theology. Um, it just acknowledges it on on a human level that says, you know, because God has been that deeply connected to us and freely gives us that it's not something that we earn. Um, but it's also not something that we can break. Then we, we just do have this connection to God. And so it's in our very human nature, it's part of our DNA. So rather than the basic sort of the, the basic foundation of our, of our, human nature being separation. It's because of God and because of God's willful choice to do it this way, it's connection. Mm. Um, And I don't know anywhere in scripture where you can't see that to be true. You know, the part about God sticking with it is like, oh my goodness, you look at the judge, you look at judges, you know, or you look at all the prophets or you look at Jesus being patient with the disciples. Like it's just endless the sense that we don't get it. We get it wrong. We mess up. We, you know, turn our backs and walk away. And God is continually staying connected to us anyways. Mm. Prodigal son, it's, the, it's endless, right? So um, I don't know how anyone can read scripture and not see that original blessing is the most biblical thing you can say.
2: What would you say to the, like the, how do you deal with the verses from like Paul when he's talking about um, you refers to Adam and he talks about, I don't know the verses off the top of my head, but you know them probably better yeah. than I do. Yeah. How, what, what do you do with those kind of verses? I know those are the verses that everybody tends to go to and yeah, I always get I tripped up. So I'm like, I don't know what to say.
3: Like, <laughs> right. I think that's such a funny, you know, I have gotten a few angry emails about that and I, yep. <laughs> you know, I'm like, yeah, if you, if you think about it from an original blessing standpoint, that's, that makes, that's, you don't have to throw those verses out. I'm not, I mean, that sounds perfectly legitimate to the whole idea because it's a metaphor. Mm. Um, Adam is a universal human. Christ is also the universal human. What's different is that Adam died and that Christ died and was risen. Mm. And so in that we were like Adam in that we just died. And now we are in Christ in which we die and are born again. We live on. Mm. That is the entire gospel. And so also it's helpful to remember that Paul was Jewish. And so Paul, and also this was way before the concept of original sin was designed or even anyone had imagined it. And so there's no way that when Paul wrote those, those verses that he was talking about original sin, it wasn't, it didn't even exist yet. And he's Jewish and they don't, they don't read the Genesis three story as a fall narrative, they never have. It wasn't true in Paul's time. It's not true in today. Hmm. As much as Judaism has changed, that certainly hasn't. So, um, so yeah, when Paul talks about that, it's actually this beautiful description of why death is the thing that Jesus defeats, not hmm. sin. Hmm. You know,
2: and that's really represented a lot in Eastern art too, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, um, just yeah. in that idea of Christ not like a singular figure bursting out of the tomb all by himself, but going down into death and grabbing the hands of Adam and Eve and lifting them up with him.
3: Right. You and know. he doesn't lift them up because they sinned as humans. He lifts them up because they died as humans who yeah. also, you know what I mean? Hmm. Um, it's the death. It's the death he's saving them from. And thank hmm. goodness sins are also forgiven in that process. But, yeah, um, but that's the power of Easter, right?
2: So. Mm. um I think in your book, you talk about how it's not there's not like a when we're born there's not a gaping hole or chasm between us and God, but there's more of an invisible golden string I think you refer yeah, to
4: as the thread that. yes
2: yeah, I like that idea because it just i think my my daughter has a book about the invisible string i think um, it's yeah. so
3: funny. Um, it's so funny how that is like you can tell that it's true because it pops up in other places Yeah, I, I always see that as a sign of something that's true about the universe,
4: right?
2: Like, yeah, just thinking about that because I was reading that book to her and I was remembering Yeah, that's That's, that's very true. And when you see it somewhere else, especially in a children's book, right? It must yeah, be a universal like, truth that works
3: This is something we know to be true on some deep level inside in our souls. We know this to be true and I remember you know I've always traveled a little bit for work um, and when my when my kiddos were little, my son you know would always be sad when I would go out of town for a speaking engagement over the weekend or something and I remember I would give him i don't know if I mentioned this in the book or not, but I gave him this red string. Mm-hmm. And I told him, you know, sweetheart, I want you to know, and this is before I had seen that book, which you know, I thought someday I should write a book about this. And then right.
4: I was like, <laughs> <Here> you are. <laughs>
3: yeah, because again, it's a universal theme and I'm not yeah. the only parent who has had this experience. But, you know, I explained to him, sweetheart, even when I'm not here with you, I am I hold you with me in my heart. Mm. And you can hold me with you in my heart in your heart. And we are always connected. Nothing can break that you know? Mm. And if that's true for us and how we feel about our children, how can that not be so much more true in the way that God feels about God's children?
2: Yeah.
3: So that golden thread is this this deep belief that no matter what we've done, no matter how far we've wandered, no matter how down into the spiral of depression we are, there is this access we have back to the heart of God, this golden thread, and we can always get there. It is always open to us. That channel is always available.
2: I think too, in your book, and I didn't really think of this until I read it in your book, but of all the like Abrahamic religions, like Christianity, uh, Islam, Judaism, this only shows up, am I correct, in Western Christianity?
3: That's right, yeah. yeah. Islam, my my Muslim friend is like, what are you guys doing with
2: <laughs> right. <laughs>
3: why and you know it's funny too because they're you know whatever they have sections that are working on their feminist you know theology as well but he was like sure. why you got to be like that to eve you know eve, we revere eve in this right. other way and i'm like i know <laughs> and then of course as you said you know eastern christians um cannot be lumped in to nope. to original sin because they haven't they never switched over they always They towed the line from the first 400 years and have been holding strong and steady ever since. And so, Mm. yeah, it is helpful for us to kind of think, gosh, if this feels like we're really being risky to say we're throwing out this thing that feels really foundational, I just found that so totally helpful to say, okay, really, we are the unorthodox, like we're the heretics. Right. We're the ones that that stepped outside the lines of orthodoxy because everyone else has decided that this story means this other thing.
2: Was the was the Eastern tradition earlier than, than the Western tradition?
3: Yes, because they didn't split until later. And then when the split happened, it was the West that split off and started making these changes. And so um, the Eastern church has continually just said, yeah, that's not how we see things, which is why their Easter services are like 4 million hours long.
2: I've heard about that. I've heard that like <laughs> yeah. never ending. Yeah.
3: <laughs> it's like the Great Easter Vigil. And it has been since, you know, like literally whatever 33 blah blah because Mm. they they have always known that easter is the big big celebratory moment for christianity because it's resurrection that is Mm. the heart of the gospel not Mm. forgiveness of personal sin
2: and that seems a lot more like jesus to me like everybody right right? like everybody overcomes i just feel like that's just such a more of a of a jesus-like sermon than you know the the western way I don't know. It just seems more like Christ to me.
3: Yes, it does. And it yeah. also makes, it, it helps us make a lot more sense of of basically the whole Bible too, because yeah. most of the Bible is about communal life and not, and mm. not only individual life. And um, you know, I'm sure you've heard this before. I'm sure you've preached this uh, when you were a pastor, but when we read you, it's unfortunate that in English, you plural and you singular is the same word. And so yeah. we've lost that concept that, um, scripture is almost always talking about a you plural, hmm. a collective you, and we've really missed that um, that connotation, and it's really messed with. I think our understandings of what living out the gospel means, and um, certainly, I think it fits a lot a lot more clearly with Jesus as well, because he he came not just to save people, but to save us from the principalities and powers, like to redeem the structures and the yeah. systems and the governments and the empire, you know, to overturn all of those things to work for the good of, of all creation.
2: Hmm. Why do you think that like Eastern message has gotten lost? So for lack of a better word, like I know, obviously it's there and it exists, but why does the Western mindset feel so strong in, in the world? Is it, is it just because we live in the West? Is it like, is it different in the other, on the other side of the world or is it, you still have that sense of the the Western mindset over there as well.
3: I mean, I think we've I think we've basically permeated the the global mindset at this point, mm. you know, for better and particularly for worse. For worse, but, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, why did the West take off like this? I mean, the cynical part it's not cynical. I think it's probably just true that it's the same reason why, like you know twilight sold more copies than like just a really thoughtful (laughs) unknown (laughs) independent book that's eight billion times better than it is you know why does why does thomas Burton not sell as many books as like joel osteen
4: Mm. you
3: know um the idea of original sin is is like really good marketing and Mm. it's kind of easy you know it's an it's an easy system to understand like oh I'm bad. and That's the reason why I can't do good things. And like, that's the reason why I cannot like that person because they clearly are bad. And yeah. um, also, gosh, I have to go to church because the church is the only place that can like f- fix my badness. And mm-hmm. it's a really good marketing strategy. And I think it's worked really, really well. And um, it's a lot harder to say, well, you're here to commune with God deeply within your soul and mm-hmm. really listen closely to what that means. And, Sometimes that means that you're going to do the thing that makes you less money or that makes you take a a huge leap or to stand up and use your voice against something really powerful or, you know, those are harder things to do and, um, you know, not to be too idealistic about it, but I think at least part of it is that, um, it's easier.
2: Yeah. And I think too, like just realizing that just because it's everywhere doesn't necessarily mean it's right or it's, yeah, it doesn't mean it's better
4: true. Yeah.
2: Right. Because sometimes you get stuck. I mean, I know for me, like I get stuck in that mindset of, well, everybody else thinks this way. So like, I must be right, you know? And then when you come across something like this, it's like, oh, like there is a different way to think. Like when Rob Bell came out with, you know, Love Wins, I was like, oh, there is a different way to think about this kind of stuff than just the way I've always been taught.
3: Yeah. And this idea too, that you think, oh, you can find these lost traditions where you know, they have been saying that and we just have decided not to listen to them. Right? (laughs) And I think that's, what's so great nowadays too. And you know, when I was in seminary, I was lucky that I got to read a lot of this stuff, but I think it's a lot more prevalent now, but you know, we're we're reading womanist voices and Mm -hmm. new voices and these voices that have had really wise, important things to tell us about the way that they see the story of Jesus being played out into the world. And just because we weren't listening doesn't mean that, that, you know, the white German guys had it all right. You know, we just decided that they were the only ones we were going to listen to. And we really lost this richness because, uh, you know, we weren't, we weren't listening to these threads that had been silenced or forgotten or intentionally pushed to the side and marginalized. So, um, I think it's true for for things of theology too, like the concept of hell and the concept of sin and
4: all these other
2: things. Yeah. And I think technology too has made it so easy to access some of this stuff. Like I come across so many voices, like even like your own, there's so many other people like, you know, Barbara Brown Taylor, Diana Butler Bass, like all these people who I think are becoming much more prevalent now because their voices are so easily accessible and yeah. somebody hears it, shares it, passes it along before you know it. It's like, it's everywhere. So I think that's a real blessing for, Technology, as evil as it sometimes can can feel,
3: <laughs> yeah. There's some downsides, but for sure, one of the upsides is that it's really democratized um, the public sphere in a way that it was it was really necessary. You know, you get to hear these marginalized voices get to have a chance to say things. And um, yeah.
2: so, last question is about Jesus. Uh, this is kind of a big one, but uh, the narrative that like I and many of our listeners have received uh, in our upbringing is that everyone's born sinful. Original sin is the foundation. God. Hate sin; it's got to be punished. You know, Jesus took my punishment. I believe in Him. I go to heaven. I don't. I go to hell. But if the beginning of that narrative, which is original sin, if we kind of remove that, uh, then it seems like God isn't really mad or doesn't have a reason to be mad. And so Jesus isn't taking any kind of punishment. Uh, so then maybe some people are wondering, like, well, what do we do with Jesus now? Like, why why is Jesus so important? Why did he die? What's the cross about? Why is Easter important? Uh, Maybe take us a little bit deeper into that. We touched on it with the Eastern mindset, but maybe uh, talk to us about why Jesus is still important, what the cross is about.
3: So if you see your Christian purpose as being in deep communion with God
4: Hmm.
3: and allowing that deep communion with God to lead your life so that you can live like Christ and in Christ and as Christ, then the purpose of Jesus is that he perfectly demonstrates Mm. what it means to live in deep communion with God. Mm. And he did that by living a deeply human life, which included painful suffering and betrayal and um, harm, bodily harm, you know, um, heartbreak, he lost his friends to death, you know, um, he had to live in the midst of an empire that, that was acting completely not in accordance with the kingdom Mm -hmm. and had to figure out how to speak out against that. And, you know, what a beautiful life and how much does he have to teach us about how we also must live in communion with God and figure out these same questions for our own selves and our own lives. Um, And of course there is also an aspect of, of, of original blessing that says exactly the same thing, which is we need Jesus because whatever mystery we call Easter, whatever was, whatever happened in those three days, right? When he, Mm -hmm let's say he descended into hell and um, is now seated at the right hand of the father, like the creeds say, then there is this definitive declaration that God will prevail and life will have the last word. Mm. And that gives us such a deep sense of of power and freedom to know that even in hell, God is present because Jesus has gone there, you know, Mm. Um there is no place in human experience or in anywhere in this universe that we can't go where where Jesus has not made himself known, and then God, by raising him, has brought life to all of those places mm. and you know we can live our whole lives and not totally understand the mystery of all that but um, but to me to to try to to denigrate and diminish Jesus's life as sin management feels You know, violating to the power of the beautiful life that he led.
2: Yeah. I was talking to my wife about that the other night. And I was like, you know, it's the way that we were were raised and the, the narrative that we were given. I said, it's almost as if that narrative says that, like, when Jesus died and he rose again, he met the disciples on the mountain and he said, you know, all right, guys, like, this is it. Like, I want you to leave and I want you to go and build this religion in my name. And to get everybody to believe in me because if they don't then when they get to heaven i'm gonna send them to hell like it's like on the on the top of the list of things jesus didn't say like that's gotta be number one you know right. but like i feel like that's the, what the narrative says
3: <laughs> yeah i think that's what original sin is trying to say yeah. and it sounds ridiculous you know right. after like it's, it just sounds deeply incongruent to the life he just finished living you know yeah. and the death he
4: just finished sure dying. Sure. <laughs> sure
3: you know like all that steadfastness and openness and love and compassion and just, you know, like who does it, who does that? Like, who's mm. that incongruent? You know, yeah. we're in trouble if
4: God is that incongruent.
2: Yeah. Right. I find that one of the, the best ways for me to think about, like think through my theology and this kind of stuff is when I talk to my daughter, cause she's going to be three in March and she's starting to ask questions. Like we have on our fireplace mantle we have these different uh, like little figurines of different uh, scenes from jesus's life and she likes to look at like when he's walking on the water and she likes to try to say transfiguration because there's one of <laughs> on the mountain transfiguration uh but there's the one of the cross and he's hanging on the cross and she always points to it, and she goes you know what's that and i said well that's jesus and he's hanging on the cross and she's like why and i said well i see the people around there they were they were very mean to him and they did mean things to him and they're like why and she's like why so well, because he came and he tried to you know live in a much different way and they didn't like that and they got upset and so they put him on the cross i said but do you know what he said from the cross and she's like what and i said he said i forgive you i said because he showed us how to live like god even in his hardest moments and she just like she just she gets it you know she like understands that and so now when we go to that part of the of the fireplace she i said what did jesus say on the cross she said, i forgive you and so i think like that that seems to be the heart of like what we're talking about here
3: yeah and when she's hurting, you know, you can point to that figurine and say, Jesus knows what it feels like to be hurting. Yeah, Jesus has, Jesus is with you, even in your hurting. Mm-hmm. I mean, that sense of just like God being with you, no matter what, you know, as she gets older, goodness, you know, the the gift that is the fact that we know that Jesus has suffered alongside of us and hasn't, avoided that part of human life but has willingly allowed all of human life to be lived in him
2: yeah it's really good one of the things i pray before i put her down at night i say thank you jesus that um you live inside of jordan and jordan lives inside of you and then jordan says and i'm never alone
4: (laughs) oh i love that (laughs) Uh, i mean
3: imagine if everybody had that sense of connection you know Um, yeah so good
2: Wow, this has been a crazy good conversation. Uh, we're just about out of time, but thank you so much for for joining me. Uh, before you go though, where can people find you uh, online? And are you working on any thing in particular that you wanna let us in on?
3: <laughs> well, you can find me, I have a website, danielshorter.com. I rarely blog there anymore, but um, you can read lots of old stuff, particularly about Jürgen Moltmann. If you're a Moltmann person, I've read mm. a lot about him for many years. Um, I also have a fun little side project that I've done the last couple of years called be SoulNinja.com. Oh, okay. Um, and that's sort of my fun little practice of dabbling in, um, Buddhist practices. Um, and so if that sounds like something kind of fun for you, it's very practical stuff about being, you know, compassionate and showing up and being present in life. Um, and then on Twitter, you can find me at DG Schroyer. So I'm there a little bit. Uh, and then I'm not actually working on a book. So at the moment, really my focus is on, um, my spiritual direction practice and working on things related to that. Mm. But, um, mm. yeah, I'm, do you well, do uh,
2: do you do long distance spiritual direction? I do. Yeah. I meet with people
3: in town, um, at my church and then I meet, um, with lots of people actually over Skype. And, um, that's been a really great, even internationally, which has been pretty cool.
2: Oh, wow. That's really cool. Again,
3: technology can be awesome and can be a form of connection.
2: That's for sure. Excellent. Well, Danielle, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, this has been wonderful and I'm going to definitely have to have you back again soon.
3: Thank you so much, Glenn. It was great to talk to you.
2: Thanks. You have a good night. You too. Bye-bye
1: wish I had a mansion, wish I was dressed in something fancy. Uh, Wish I on a pot, until gold with the rainbow by the time clancy. Wish I had no debt, maybe then I can't flex. Going here to run, I'm going to check. Wish I had no other sand, most beaten on my chest. Wishing for my people. Uh, Wish I I had more, better leaders. have enough to make our own land. Name our own beat, shall we bring our old sand? Where we live is so bland, so much, we're high on demand tiptoe around and high lows feel like james brown up. we going here to dance let me talk at the end of the day we know who's at a fault. we got our hands up ready for a box just really get I'm just to got the old lot. champion, go ahead, call the ambulance, I'm so free. Free. we said the own MBS, WT, DG, train to go, I'm let's free. Free. talk, no rambling. wishing, I, start had start wishing I had something foreign, wishing I had something foreign, knowing that I can afford it, knowing that I can afford it, it's real love, it's real love, but I just ignore it, it's all love. All but I just enjoy yeah. Wish I had red bottles on my feet. Everything falls on me. Then I start clicking my heels to the ride did this beat. Need everyone to follow my speed. Let's close those more hey. Carolina roads on freeze. Hey. Wishing I could fly to the Keys. Hey. That will be more free. Hey. Something in my mind hit the doubt Put on my fresh fit. Uh. So Sir Charles, let's go. Yo. We about to, to go get yeah, it. Yeah. Uh, let me talk. At the end of the day, we know who's at the far. We got our hands up, ready for a box. Undisputed, we got the own lot. Champions. Wishing I, have so warm. Warm. Wishing I had something foreign. Wishing I had something foreign. Knowing, knowing, that, I knowing that I can thing afford thing it. Knowing that I can afford it. It's real love, it's real love, but I just ignore it. It's all love, it's all love, but I just ignore it. I I had something foreign, I'm wishing I have something foreign, foreign. Festival, Knowing that I can afford it, I'm Knowing it, that I can afford I'm it, it's real, love, it's, love, it's real love, love it. It. it's real love, but I just ignore it, it's all love, it's all love, but I just ignore it. King is giving a festival,
4: I wish, King is giving a festival, I wish,